If you do not have a Bible, we have one in the seats in front of you. You can find one of those or go ahead and turn your Bible on on your phone or your electronic device to the book of 1 John. We have this week and then two more weeks of 1 John and then we will conclude that. Uh, I hope it's been uh, an experience where you're growing and learning some kind of theological but also some practical truths uh, in some very, very neat ways. There's Miranda. I was looking for you. So Miranda, come on up here real quick. Um, so I... Uh, Go ahead and open up. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be starting in verse uh, 7. You can just stand there while I preach. Um, I'm just kidding. So Miranda, beautiful Miranda, graduated uh, last month. We can say that last month because it's the third. Uh, and Miranda, if you remember, is going on a YWAM uh, trip for about six months. Actually, gets, she gets home Christmas Eve. Uh, is when she gets home. And uh, in, our, in our app, if you, if you grab our app and you click on give, there's a drop-down menu that shows uh, benevolence offering, general fund, and I think it says Miranda YWAM or YWAM Miranda. And uh, Miranda is in the process of both raising fund and recruiting prayer, praying for uh, her getting ready to go overseas. And so I don't have a microphone, so do you want to share with us? Um, I'm going to do this for you. Uh, do you, you want to share with us what, uh, what are your needs uh, still, how can we be praying for you, and anything else? Okay. <laughs> um, so I still am raising support. I, I'm super close to my goal, and it's really awesome to see how God's provided so far. Um, so I'm just finishing up that, and there's just a bunch of other like expenses, like a visa and health insurance and all that fun stuff. Um, and then, yeah, just prayers for preparation. I don't really know what to expect. I don't really know. I've never really, you know, been out of the country. I've been to Mexico two times, but, like, I don't know. So, like, traveling by myself for 30 hours across the globe, I don't know how to do that. So just prayers for, like, bravery, courage, um, that I would feel God's peace. And, yeah, just... Okay, yeah, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to Australia for three months for training in Perth, Australia, and we learn all about, like, discipleship and um, global health education and how to serve people medically through the lens of, like, how Jesus served people compassionately and all that, and then we go to Nepal for another three months and travel to different villages and share God's love and set up free medical clinics and do different global, or, like, health seminars and stuff like that. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> awesome. So the way that you can help is you can do it on the drop-down menu of, of your phones. You can do that even now as, as we're um, uh, going through the sermon, but you can also designate a check. If you do checks in the offering box, just put Miranda YWAM on the memo part, and that'll go towards her, and then we'll keep you updated as things go. I like your ring. Very cool. All right, you can go now. Okay. All right, bye now. Miranda. Awesome. So uh, we are continuing uh, in this journey. I, I think of people like Miranda and others who are going on the mission field, and, and it's hard not to think about people like John and Paul 
uh, and Timothy and others who, who did exactly that and are writing about their experiences and what God's kind of speaking to their heart. And, and John's doing that. We, if you're new to the church or you've not been here for a while, just to bring you up to speed, uh, John's writing to several of these churches throughout Asia Minor, and he's trying to encourage them, but he's also trying to set the record straight on some really bad teachings. Um, it's specifically that Jesus wasn't God, there's no such thing as a trinity, uh, downplaying sin, that sin doesn't really uh, take over your life and it doesn't really have power over you. And John's kind of going, hold on, man, I, I'm an older man, I walked with Jesus, I've experienced this life in Christ, I know a thing or two, I need to speak about this now. And, and so he becomes the voice of Christ followers. And, uh, and so he writes these epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He's also the author of the book of John, the Gospel of John, and also the book of Revelation. And, and he's writing to these people. Uh, and so it, we come to uh, a place in 1st John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. You can follow along in your Bible. It's also going to be on the screen um, if, if you want to just uh, look that way. So let's start at verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from who? God. Anyone who loves is born of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're going to hear this repeated quite a bit. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. It's referring back to his words in John 3, 16. This is real love. This is not that we loved God, this is unbelievably critical, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love has been brought to full expression through us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he is in us. Verse 14, furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now we testify. Again, if you remember, John began his epistle with that, his testifying that the father had sent the son to be the savior of the world. All who proclaim that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in him. This is uh, an incredible glimpse into John's description of the Trinity. We're going we're to talk a little bit about the Trinity uh, this morning. I know sometimes when the idea of the Trinity comes up, people begin to look cross-eyed, and think of ways to explain it, and three cups, and three eggs, and three glasses of water poured into one, and someone told me this week, a fidget spinner, uh, you know, like all these different ways, that was Jack, our intern, perfect, uh, not to dime you off, but that's what we do, and so uh, sometimes this idea of the Trinity can just be a little bit confusing, so we're going to dive a tiny bit into that, but then I want to expose how the Trinity actually teaches us how to love others, how the Trinity shows us how we're supposed to love the people around us uh, from John's teaching. You know, as a kid, 
I can remember growing up in church, and I, I remember a couple of sermons talking about the Trinity. There's the Father, there's the Son, there's the Holy Spirit, and, and kind of wrestling with that and, and hearing a pastor say, they're all God, they're three persons, and, and maybe I heard this, maybe I just confused it, but I, I kind of walked away with, I've got to pray to all of them in order to pray to God. And so I can remember as a little kid, very, very young in my bed, and I'm like, okay, God, uh, thank you for creation that. Okay, Jesus, thank you that you did this and this. Okay, spirit, blah, blah, blah. And so I would pray these prayers to each one every single night, mostly asking Jesus to come into my heart and save me so that if I die in my sleep, now I lay me down to sleep, ruined me right? Uh, if I die before I wake, I like took that serious. And so I wanted to make sure that I was saved. I can remember as a very little kid, one specific night, praying to God, talking to God and saying, would you just tell the others? <laughs> just so I could save time. I don't know about you, maybe like you go into prayer and, and you're in your like second hour of praying and you're like, man, I'm still good. I, I've got all the energy in the world. For me, I'm like two or three minutes in, I'm like, I mean, I'm distracted. I've got ADD kicking in. I'm like announcement guy, like all over the place. And so I very vividly remember talking to God saying, can you tell Jesus and the Holy Spirit for me? And then I said, amen, and I was done. And sometimes we can do that. We, we think, okay, we've got to go to Alex, and then we've got to go to Jack, and then we've got to go to Ellie, and, and somehow they're all completely disconnected. So I've got to make sure I talk to each and every one of them. And the Trinity is an immeasurable and yet definite doctrine throughout the scriptures. It can be hard to understand, much less for a little kid, certainly for us as adults as well. Jonathan Edwards, many of you know his writings, he noted this after studying the topic of the Trinity. He said this, I think the doctrine of the Trinity to be the highest and deepest of all mysteries. Of all mysteries. This is a man who is well studied. He is very well read. He is very well taught. He is very well written. And yet he deems the doctrine of the Trinity to be the highest and deepest of all the mysteries. Though the fullness of the Trinity is far from human understanding. It is without question how God chooses to reveal himself throughout scripture as one God eternally existing in three persons. This isn't in any way to suggest, as we just described, that the Bible suggests that it's three different people that it's three different gods. Rather, God is three persons in a single essence. He exists wholly and indivisibly and simultaneously and eternally as one single Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Bible implies the Trinity in several different ways. We certainly don't have time to completely unpack the whole Old Testament in regards to Trinitarian teaching, but they do use a single word, and that's the title Elohim, God. And what's inter interesting about this is, for instance, this word, God, Elohim, is a plural noun, meaning to us, suggesting to us, multiplicity. That's what the readers would have understood initially. We hear the word God and we think of someone with a fork and white with a huge beard, huge muscles sitting on a cloud ruling. But the original readers would hear that as multiplicity. 
In the New Testament, Paul writes during his benediction to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The New Testament clearly distinguishes three persons who are all concurrently active. Not one taking a turn, but all currently active at the same time. They're not merely modes of expressions of the same person. That's heretical teaching. We don't have time to really unpack that, but that's heresy that was taught throughout the church, and that is not clear. The Bible is clear. There's only one God, and he does exist. He has always existed as a trinity of persons. From eternity past. You ever think that? You ever do this as a kid where you sit around with some friends? Maybe you guys uh, have done this where you think of forever. And forever can kind of spook you out a little bit. Eternity can kind of spook you out a little bit. Like it's hard to wrap your mind around forever. It's hard to wrap your mind around that God has always been. There wasn't a beginning because we don't think that way. We don't operate that way. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have always enjoyed the fullness of a personal relationship with each other. They have always enjoyed, and thus they glorify in the infinite closeness that they share. In other words, to put it very simply, God has never been lonely. God has never been lonely. There's some bad teachings out there that God created humans because he felt he was empty of something that there was something more that he needed. Let me make that very, very clear. God didn't need humanity. God did not need you. He did not need me. He and uh, the Trinity, the three persons in one, they were not without and thus created. They created out of love. But they've always shared in this perfect relationship called the Trinity. Are you with me kind of so far? So you may ask, Pastor Brian, why does this matter? We're reading 1 John, so why, why are we unpacking the Trinity? Why does this matter? Why talk of this doctrine? This doctrine has been debated, discussed, wrestled with, argued, uh, churches split, wars declared over this exact topic from theologians to historians to psychologists to scientists to scholars to very, very simple people like me and you. That's what they've done. And here's where we're going with this this morning. Based on the flawless model of the Trinity, our perfect God designed his creation beings as relational people as relational man and woman. Why? Because we're created in his image, and one of the greatest examples of that is in relationship. Mankind's creation in the image of God gave us certain things. Stay with me with this. God gave us self-awareness, the ability to think rationally, to appreciate beauty, to acquire wisdom, to, to feel emotion and pleasure and to understand to a certain degree morality. We talked about that a couple weeks ago with absolutes, absolutes, rights, and wrongs. But the most significant aspect of God's image that he blessed his creation. Remember, several weeks ago, we drew a distinction between 
uh, God's creation and his children. All humanity is his creation. Those who follow Jesus Christ are his children. You with me with that? The greatest example of us having the image of God as his creation is seen in one's capacity to love others. We are best modeling the Godhead of the Trinity when we love others. The best. And this is reflected in this Trinitarian thought. It's brought into sharp focus throughout our passage. Four times John refers to this perfect or, or rather perfected love in God, a, a completed love that only comes from God at salvation. Let's unpack this a little bit further. We read in Romans chapter 5, it's on the screen, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. This is a love that does not derive from a mystical experience. It does not derive from a camp high. It does not derive from emotions. It derives from truth given to us. The Bible is clear that it originates at salvation, and the fullest expression of it occurs only when people obey the Lord. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, John tells us this. Whoever keeps his word, keeps the word of the Lord, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. Love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, my favorite theologian, is noted by saying this. God is not a God of emotion. God is a God of truth. Emotion can come and go. Sometimes we can get so pulled into wanting the emotion of uh, most people will attach it to the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, after so many years on this planet, and, and many of you who are even older than me, you will attest to this, emotions come and go, especially when you're walking with Jesus, but the truth doesn't. The truth stands firm. It goes nowhere. Now, you might be sitting here today or listening in a line and thinking to yourself, well, haven't we talked enough about love? It seems like in, in, during the course of our series, we've talked about love an awful lot. And my answer to you would be, yes, we have absolutely talked about love. In fact, this is the third time in John's tiny little epistle that he's given a major section of love here alone. But John recounts moral and doctrinal proofs. That's what he's trying to do of, you know you're a Christian if symbolic of you know you're a redneck if this is john's version this is john's church version of you know you're a christian if and again we don't like to do that we don't like to put measuring sticks we don't like to say if you are or if you aren't everybody just knows in their own heart and only you and god know well according to the bible there are some specifics on how you might know and john is teaching the nature of of the perfect Trinitarian love as it relates to three very key areas. We're going to go over each one of those very briefly. Number one, the character of God, the coming of Jesus Christ, and the Christian's claim to faith. We're going to unpack each one of those in regards to the Trinity and how we know that, and then how are we supposed to live that out? When we have our potluck today, how are we supposed to love others? When you go to the pool or to the park this week or you go to work or whatever, how are you supposed to love others? When you're around someone who's annoying, anybody have someone annoying in their life? Every hand should be up, like seriously. How are you supposed to love? 
That's what we're discussing. It's a very practical manner. The Bible is unbelievably practical. And sometimes we go, okay, the Trinity is just this doctrine out there that I'm supposed to believe. I grew up learning. I am a kid. I've given my life to Jesus. I'm supposed to believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God. I'm supposed to believe that. Okay, fine, I believe it. Move on. But it's more than that. The Trinity gives us guidance. The character of God Verses 7 through 8 gives us this guidance. Followers of Christ are to extend sacrificial love to others. Why? Because that's God's character. Why are you to love sacrificially? I'm not talking about being nice. I'm not talking about loving when it's convenient or loving someone who's very, very lovable. I'm talking about loving where it takes a sacrifice from you where you might have to grind your teeth and clench your fists and count to 10. Loving sacrificially, why? Because that's God's character. He sacrifices to love you. Why? Because you're not lovely outside of his son, Jesus. There's nothing lovely about you. There's nothing lovely about me outside of his son, Jesus. And that son Jesus cost God an awful lot. Every time we see that cross, we see a sacrificial love of the Father. So we love because that's God's character. Just as God is life and the source of eternal life, just as he is light and the source of light in this world, we talked about that in chapter 2, they will also possess, Christians will possess and live out his love since, quote, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Please remember this. This is not about being nice. In fact, it has nothing to do with being nice. This has nothing to do with manners, saying please and thank yous, and excuse me, and pardon me. This is not what John's referring to. People ask me all the time, well, can't non-Christians love can't those who are far from God and want nothing to do with God still love and be nice? And my answer is always emphatically, yes. They absolutely can. And they do all the time. Those of you from all ages in this room, students to graduates to adults, you know people in your life who are really nice that are super far from God, that have not submitted to him. They love others, they encourage others, they're super kind, and, and that's the world around us. So I say, of course they can, but let's go back. God has made mankind in his image. We reflect him whether we want to or not. When there is kindness shown, that is a trait given in the image of God. When there is patience shown, that is a characteristic given from God through the Trinity to his creation to be lived out. When there is love shown, when the little old lady, when Polly gets walked across the street to the potluck that she wants to go to, that's love. But here's the difference. Motives matter. Not the action. 
You see, we only see the action. We see great families around us that are super far from God, and they have incredible marriages. They have great families. They're super kind. They serve others. They do all these things, and it's great. Why? Because God's image is in his creation, whether his creation wants it or not. We will live out his traits. There's always a but. But love, as the Bible states, is to love as his children with the love of God. It's a root. It's, it's a foundation. It's a motive. It's a reason for those actions. You see, it's not the action. It's, it's the heart behind the action. God decides if it's rooted in him or not. I don't know if you know these two people. Um, do you guys know them? They're supposed to get together, and for those of you who are listening, this is Mr. Trump and Mr. Un uh, from North Korea, and they're supposed to get together on the 12th. May or may not happen. I don't, I don't know. They're supposed to get there and talk about we don't know. Even if we watch the news, we have no idea what their motives are. We don't even know, we don't even know if they're going to talk or if they're just going to sit in a room and stare at each other and have a staring contest and whoever blinks first wins. Like We have no idea what this is going to look like if it even happens. We're told one thing, that there's a discussion going on on denuclearization and, and ending officially uh, the Korean War and, and a bunch of other things, um, uh, civil rights and, and the way people are treated and, and embargoes and you name it, tons of different things. We have no idea. Why? Because we don't know their motives. They might get together, they might talk, it might look some way, and depending on what news channel you watch, it might portray to you what their motives were, what the actions were, but we have no idea. We have absolutely no idea what that meeting might look like, what will be discussed in that meeting, etc. But all we have to do is look at the action. And you see, what God says is God, by his nature, God defines the motive and the action. He declares what is love, not culture. God declares what's going to happen. And we know very, very clearly based on scripture what that looks like. It's not culture that defines this love. It's his creation. It's his definition. It's his works. Psalm 145 verse 9 says this, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all of his works. Do you think that God's mercy could be over the work that is happening there? Maybe, maybe not existing. Do we believe that? I do. Do I believe that either one of them are Christ followers that have submitted? That's neither here nor there. What I do believe is God's creation in this world, his works are everywhere. It's who he is. It's his character. And the Apostle Paul celebrated this special love to his letter in the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, he says this, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, whose great love? God's, with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Notice it's all about him. It's not about us. It's not about our actions. It's not about us keeping a tally of how nice and kind we've been over the past several years and how naughty or nice. God is not Santa Claus. He's not keeping a list of, man, you're like really getting, you are really nice. You have been working super hard. You are loving, you are kind, you are patient. I'm like thrilled with you. God is not doing that. It's his work. It's his work through his people. It's his ability for you to be patient with your coworker who is driving you bonkers or your family member who is doing the same. It's all about God. It's all about his riches. It's all about his love for his people. Jesus came so that we could be perfect in our love and our sacrificial love for others. Not perfect in the sense of perfect without fault, but perfect with the love that we give to others. And that's our call as we model the perfect love of the Trinity. Number two, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, verses 9 through 11. Jesus Christ is the dominant expression of God's love. You say, well, how do we know God loves us? Your answer first is Jesus. How do I know that God loves us? How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that God loves humanity? Jesus. John 3:16, Romans 5:8, Hebrews 1:5, Luke chapter 2. And hundreds of years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah foresaw his conciliatory sacrifice. He wrote this in Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ came. Friends, Jesus came. That's why we have hope. That's why our circumstances don't dictate to us. The truth dictates to us. And by Jesus coming, the perfect love of God was shown in that God has given us his only begotten son into the world so that we might live like and through him. Hopefully this isn't news to you. You can't love others with the love of Christ without Christ. You need him. You need him every day. You need him every minute. You need him in every situation. You have conflict with a friend. You have difficulty with finances. You're looking for a job. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to walk that with you. The Apostle John's point is that since God displayed his love in sending Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus should follow that example. We should love others with that kind of love, with that Christ-like 
love. Paul told the Ephesians, this small little church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. Jesus came. He sought to serve, to love unconditionally with absolute no strings attached, without demands. He loved, he served, he sacrificed. <coughs> what would happen if we loved the people around us with that kind of love? What would happen if we were always so quick to forgive? If we were always so quick to be patient? If we were always so quick to be kind? If we were always so quick, as the Bible says, to put other people's interests first and drop our own agendas? Don't get me wrong, not easy. High bar that Jesus sets. We all agree with that? High bar that Jesus set for us? And yet, that's the call for us. That's the call as we model the perfect love of the Trinity. And finally, the third one is the Christian's claim to faith. In verses 12 through 16, John is clear that Jesus is no longer visibly present. It would have been amazing, I think, to walk around with Jesus. Probably would have been exhausting. Because not too often we see him exhausted in Scripture. And the man walked miles forever. I get tired walking around an amusement park. I get tired walking around a park. Especially if there's no shade. Are you with me? You go on a hike and you're looking for a rock that's shady. And you're like, hey, let's let those other people take a rest. And you're like, thank you, God. Shade and a rock. I got to sit. I think it would have been incredible to walk with Jesus. I say I think because I don't know. I see the disciples not quite getting it. I see them struggling and fumbling and, and trying to figure things out. I think it would be an unbelievable experience. But John makes it clear that Jesus, Jesus is no longer physically present in this world, meaning that people will not see God's love as they did through the person of Jesus unless believers love one another. Unless believers are the hands and feet that do, as Miranda's about to do, go into the world, into the world around us. Maybe your world is your workplace. For, for Miranda, it's Australia. Tough that God called her to Australia, but we all have to serve Christ somewhere. And to go be his hands and feet, to love others. And I'll go back to this again. I completely understand this. To talk about loving others is very simple when people are lovable. It's a pain in the neck when they're not. I'm just keeping it real because I know in my life, and I've got to believe in yours, there are people in your life it is not easy for you to love. Otherwise, I guess it's just me. But if we love each other, God will be on display to our culture, proving that he lives in us and that his love is perfected in him. One commentator states it like this, the unseen God thus reveals himself through the, the, through the visible love of believers. The love that originated in God and was revealed in his son is now demonstrated in his people. 
God could have done it any other way. He could have kept the tabernacle. He could have kept the temple. He could have uh, put a huge statue somewhere in Iowa that we go to and go, oh, that's how we know that God loves us. He could have done it any other way. You know how he chose to do it? Through us. Sometimes that's a blessing. Sometimes that's an enormous weight to carry. But God chose to love the world through his people. When I was in college, I went on a, a, a mission trip slash basketball tournament to Cuba. I've, I've shared that a few times. And when we were there, we, we met with, uh, we went to concerts, we met with government officials, we met in uh, with the small underground home churches uh, throughout Havana. And I can very vividly remember this one time, uh, our, our team was uh, seated with a couple of older uh, spiritual men that were kind of guiding the underground church uh, throughout Cuba. And my college pastor, his name's Palmer Chinchin, and Palmer was sitting with one of these older men who was trying to further understand God's love, trying to understand the, the tangibility of God loving you. Because we were there trying to tell the people, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. And they were looking for, well, how do I know that? How do I know that? And I can very vividly remember Palmer sitting with this man, talking to him, trying his best to communicate with him, and then turning to all of us and going, we are here as God's love. God loves you through us. And I will never, until the day I die, forget that moment because the man understood it. He understood our affection for him. He understood our help in the church and in the homes, our kindness with the people. He understood love because love being exhibited through another. It's us. It's me and you as the Spirit lives in us. But it's all three persons of the Trinity lived out through us. The love we are called to is accomplished by every member of the Trinity. As those who abide in God, they reflect his love because God abides in them because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And his spirit is at work in our hearts to create that love to be lived out. Are you with me? It's all members at work in our lives. You know, Jesus compared this spirit, the Holy Spirit, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 8, to the wind. This beautiful, eloquent way to describe the Holy Spirit. And he said that people can see only the Spirit's effects. Just like we can't tangibly go down and shake the hands of Jesus right now, we also can't do that with the Spirit. But we see the effects of the Holy Spirit sweeping over the land, sweeping over people touching, changing hearts, removing bitterness, removing struggle, removing doubt, removing hurt and pain. That's what the Spirit does. And sometimes it's through us that He accomplishes that. If we allow ourselves to be used in that way, if we're not so focused on our agenda and our plan and, and our ability to be fed and our needs to be taken care of, we see that lived out. It's a remarkable thing. 
As followers of Jesus, we demonstrate the genuineness of our salvation by loving the Father and the Son, loving righteousness more than this world, and yes, even loving when it's hard. In short, the Holy Spirit alive within will help us increasingly love the way that God loves. There's a beautiful hymn, and I'll close with this. There's a beautiful hymn written by George W. Robinson. He wrote it in 1890, and the the music's a, a, a little bit afterwards. And I think it sums it up pretty well, and he says this. a a small part of his hymn. He said, loved with everlasting love, led by grace that love to know, gracious spirit from above that has taught me it is so. Oh, this full and perfect peace. Oh, this transport all divine. In a love which cannot cease, I am his and he is mine. Just this beautiful description of this love that's just beyond our wildest imagination. And it's this mysterious, powerful, life-changing love that he says, I'm going to invite you to be a part of this. You want to see your world turned upside down? You want to see your neighborhoods changed? You want to see your workplaces change? You want to see this church change? You want to see Boulder County change? Love with the most powerful love that exists that is only rooted in him. That's that's what the Bible says. And it is good stuff. You say, well, what's our call as a church? You've heard it. So let's pray and then we'll keep worshiping. So God, our, our prayer is that